0: Hello, so everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Comics Force Podcast. I'm your host, Jace. And this is Jay. And this is your new Comics Wednesday episode for October 20th, 2021. <laughs> Figure out what month it was. Oh, man, I'm tired. Uh, anyway, uh, quite a few good books this week, but maybe this week's going to be noted more for what's not there. Uh so depending on which site you follow to get your list of comics or where you get your comic news, you may or may not know that there are several titles, especially some really good titles from Image. They got delayed this week. We're hoping they're going to be next week. All has to do with the paper shortage and supply chain issues and whatnot. So a few Marvel books, uh, like the latest issue of Spider Woman and Moon Knight, uh, and then from Image. Um Second Chances, Man Among Ye, St. Mercy, Time Before Time, Vinyl, all books that we really enjoy uh, that we're going to have to. We've already read the digital copies, to be honest with you, but we won't talk about them because you guys won't get a chance to uh, to check them out. Even though we go spoiler free on Wednesdays, we'll wait until they actually hit Comic Shop. So, I don't know, maybe it'll be a, a, a extra heavy week next week. We'll have, to, we'll have to wait and see. So, just a reminder, if you're looking for the DC stuff, go check out our episode from yesterday, the DC Spotlight that I do with Rocky from Comic Boom. Don't forget that that one has full spoilers. Rocky and I go deep into the story. We talk about plot points, and there's plenty of spoilers. Uh, we we go deep diving as opposed to the new comics Wednesday episode where we like to keep it spoiler free. So that being said, let me dive right in. Um, I'll talk about Trial of Magneto number three first. Leah Williams is the writer. Lucas Werneck and David Messina are the artist. Edgar Delgado on colors. Clayton Cowell on letters. Tom Muller's the designer. So. Magneto's on trial for killing Scarlet Witch, like everybody remembers that Scarlet Witch is dead, right? Oh, but wait, at the end of issue 2, spoiler alert if you haven't read issue 2, uh Scarlet Witch shows up on the last page alive and well and kissing the Vision. So, um maybe not the Scarlet Witch that we knew, but appears to be. So, like what's going on? There was talk earlier on in the series of bringing Scarlet Witch back the way they bring back mutants the way they resurrect them with the the five and whatnot but you know i I talked before previously about the series about how scarlet witch has really been put through the ringer by marvel and i i don't think they do it necessarily i mean it's editorially driven I, i feel like for the most part because they want certain things to happen in the marvel universe like no more mutants there's too many mutants let's get rid of mutants and it all has to do with scarlet Witch's power the fact that she's able to manipulate reality makes her so powerful that when you want to change things on a fundamental level editorially, you can use Scarlet Witch. Let's just use Scarlet Witch. But then she gets blamed for things. And like I said, I really feel like she's been done dirty. Like, is she a mutant? Is she not a mutant? Is she Magneto's daughter? She's not Magneto's daughter. Like it's become so convoluted. And so currently, as it stands, I think I can't even be hundred percent sure. Um She's not a mutant. And that was kind of the loophole that Professor Xavier needed because there's still some bad blood there. There's still, they still hold a grudge a little bit because her, her saying no more mutants. Uh, so they chose not to resurrect her. But yet at the end of issue two, she shows back up. So uh, will that stop X Factor's investigation into Magneto for her murder? Maybe, maybe not. She still got attacked. She still was killed, right? Like, I don't know how that all would play out in the land of mutants and, and their crazy laws. But she did show back up, and what that means for the future of the series, what it means for Magneto, I guess we'll have to wait and see. Uh, but this issue is pretty much action-packed from, from start to finish, um, and we don't, we really don't get the answers that you necessarily would think you would. But I don't know, maybe you've been reading Marvel comics long enough to know that, yeah, it's, she's not just going to show up and they're just going to explain it. Now, other stuff happens, and kind of distracts everybody from trying to get the answers that they want on Krakoa. So uh, there's another big last page reveal that I guess you could kind of sort of see coming. Um, it's not the most original Marvel concept. I'll put it that way and when you read the book, you'll see exactly what I'm saying. But I don't know, it feels a little it feels a little tropia. I was hoping for a little more in this series. I think Leia Williams is capable of more. I'm still really, really enjoying it. Don't get me wrong really really enjoy it i'm a fan of lay Williams but i I don't know jury's still out on this one where they go on the last page it's kind of like oh we're doing that thing okay i guess that could possibly work Uh, at the end of the day i think scarlet would should be a mutant whether she's magneto's daughter or not i don't think really matters but i think she should be a mutant and i hope this is a way to sort of straighten out her continuity but uh i guess we'll see maybe it's going to end up making it more more messy but uh i did enjoy the issue the art's really strong uh and overall it's a pretty it's a pretty solid issue um i, I don't think the art is necessarily as good as it is when it's just david wernock uh, you do kind of notice it flipping back and forth between david messina and and wernock but overall like i said it's a it's a pretty solid issue i definitely enjoyed it so uh we'll have to wait and see where it goes from here. But uh but yeah, pretty intriguing. Nice that it's focusing on, even though it's you know, trial of magneto. This this issue specifically focused way more on Scarlet Witch. She got way more um kind of real estate for the story than than Magneto. He barely shows up in a few panels here or there. So uh anyway, pretty solid story. I I definitely would. I, I would have to recommend it. Yeah. It's, uh, it's pretty good. Uh, okay. Next book I'm going to talk about is another uh, Marvel title. I thought this was a one-shot, but turns out based on the way it ended and for the fact that it says to be continued, I guess it's a mini series, even though it doesn't say how many issues it's going to be, but it's Phoenix Song Echo. So for those not familiar, there was a storyline from Jason Aaron in his Avengers run recently where the Phoenix Force shows up and basically forced the Avengers to battle against each other to determine who was worthy of wielding the Phoenix power. And it came down between Echo and Prince Namor. And as you might imagine, Namor kind of wiped the floor with her because, of course, she's Namor and she's Echo. You know, she's just she's like a good dancer and has like good reflexes nowhere near the kind of power level that Namor has. And so to everybody's surprise, after that fight, the Phoenix Force actually chose her and she doesn't even understand why the Phoenix Force chose her. And so this story is all about her trying to understand why she was chosen and try to get a handle and understand what the Phoenix Force can do. Obviously we know the Phoenix Force has a pretty terrible history of kind of overwhelming people and, taking on a mind of its own and killing a bunch of people echo is a hero at heart. Uh, She doesn't want to kill people, but she also doesn't want to be controlled by anybody. She has a very sort of independent streak. Maybe that's why the Phoenix force uh, took her, but it seems like throughout this series, we're going to learn a lot more about her ancestors and where she came from. Maybe how she ended up with the powers that she ended up with and, and maybe why the Phoenix force chose her in the the first place. I I think more importantly, I would kind of like to know why did editorial (laughs) choose her? Because she's, like I said, she's not a very powerful character. And to me, she's not a very interesting character, never really cared for her very much. So um, overpowering her like this just feels really strange. You know, it feels like kind of like a captain universe story. If anybody remembers those old school captain universe stories used to pop up in Marvel comics from time to time, but, anyway the art is is fantastic uh, really really enjoy that and it is an emotional story so I'll give credit to the writer Rebecca Roan horse um, Ro- Rowan horse or maybe Roan horse um, which I'm, I'm assuming that she's like a Native American based on that name and you know that's where Maya's roots kind of lie and there is some there is some uh, story beats here and plot points here that that lean toward that direction of maybe some Native American lore or whatnot. So I do appreciate that if you're going to tell a story like that, that Marvel got somebody who is of Native American uh, descent or ancestry, you know, whose ancestors, I should say, are Native American because that gives it a, a sense of realism. So the art is by uh, Luca Maresca. Like I said, really solid line work, very good storytelling. Really, really love the art. The colors also. Uh, are done really, really well by Carlos Lopez and Ariana Mare handles the pencils. So as much as I don't care for Echo and don't really understand why Marvel gave her the Phoenix Force, if if it's just to tell a really cool story like this, then, you know, maybe that's enough. Maybe she gives it up at the end or the Phoenix Force decides to leave her. I'd be okay with that because um, I, I, although I planned on reading that um, that Phoenix storyline that Jason Aaron was Doing, I never did. I never jumped on his as a vendor's run except for the first issue, which I didn't care for. So I jumped right off and then I heard good things about the, that Phoenix um, storyline, but I never took the time to go back and read it, although I bought some of the issues. So I would need to do that because um, even though I don't really understand why they chose Echo and it doesn't seem like a um, logical choice for me, this is a pretty good start to the story. And I like her costume too. So I don't know, maybe I'll get turned around. We'll see. But a good start from, from Rebecca Horse. Like I said, fantastic art by uh, Luca Maresca. Uh, All right, on to the first book that Jay is going to talk about. It's Ice Cream Man, number 26, Unfortunate Ancestry, written by W. Maxwell Prince. Art is by Martine Morazzo. Colors are by Chris O'Halloran, and letters are by good old Neon. Uh, So what do you think of this issue there, Jay? It looks like it has kind of a funky layout. (laughs)
1: yeah uh well what i like about it's like uh each issue is a little bit different from the from the last and there's some little quirkiness like you said to it but this one is like when you get to the first page it says you got to turn the book sideways to read it so you're like okay so i really couldn't flip it on here but (laughs) it's pretty much about a story about michael and uh he's got some uh, issues you know um because mental issues and he goes down his family tree so it's literally a tree that you're looking at as he's going down the tree explaining his ancestors and all oh, their uh, different um, problems they had and their addictions. And maybe that's why he has these issues You know that he personally has now. It's always a little creepy. So they're like, OK, what's it going with this? And then they do mention the ice cream man in there. One of his ancestors says, yeah, I met the ice cream man. He, you know, he's, he's like a real creepy guy that has a truck and ice cream truck. So it's like, OK, of course, he's got to have a, a somewhat of a cameo or mention of him in, in each story. I like about because it it's 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 always creepy. You don't know what to expect with these with this writer. Um, the artwork is always the same, which I appreciate. That um, the ending is kind of trippy. I, I, I don't know how to. You really couldn't explain. It. You got to read it to kind of get to it. But I like it because he gets to the root of the tree, and that's like the future. So it's kind of neat. And then at the very end, you know, it, uh, tells you to flip it back. <laughs> You're like, that's okay. <laughs> But like I guess I know you don't read it but it's it's one of those weird books and I kind of enjoy the that, that weirdness. I guess I just like that that storytelling.
0: Yeah, it's almost like it's one long panel which we've seen in in comics before. I think there was one that I think it was I think it was Boom. Might have been IDW but but I think it was Boom that did it. It was like a James Bond issue or something like that where it was just like the basically if you laid out all the pages it told one long story that was just one long panel of this person you know fighting their way toward the front of the train and then there's a there's a nightwing issue being drawn right now by um bruno redondo that's going to be one lung panel um but those are all horizontal this one's vertical which i i kind of enjoyed the fact that it's just one lung panel just flipping through it right now while you're talking about it so definitely a weird book that i have never given a chance um because <laughs> i already read too many too many books. So anyway, next book I'm going to talk about is the first of uh, two Aftershock books we're going to talk about on the episode. It's Clans of Bilardi number four from brothers Peter Blackie and Rob Blackie as the writers. Daniel Main is the artist. Carlos Lopez does colors, Taylor Esposito on letters. And I was telling Jay before this started, so the series ends with this issue number four, which I have a little bit of I take a little bit of exception to, because I I talked about how the first issue, it wasn't necessarily a slow burn, but it, it was it felt like it was building to something. Issue two felt sort of the same, a little bit of a time jump, but we were still establishing. And then issue three, I feel like it got a little bit choppy. It tried to cover so much time, um, and it felt like the story just needed more real estate. But typically. Aftershock series only lasts like five or six issues. And so sometimes there's not enough time to really tell the story that you want to tell. Um, but then we get to issue four. And it, again, there's a lot of stuff that's covered here, but sort of not enough because it ends up ending on a cliffhanger. And I understand why it ends where it ends because of kind of the cliffhanger and, and the can of worms that's opened up. If you were to do an issue five, um then there's maybe not a good stopping point i get that you're like right in the middle of of this huge part of the story because the whole the whole world of clans of ballari it's so filled with potential so i guess I, like if you were going to always end it on the cliffhanger you were going to end it on as much as i don't like it ending on that cliffhanger i get it i understand why you want to do that because if you go to the next stage of the story you know, you can't then you can't stop. you've got to go at least another four or five issues. and now you're talking about nine or ten issues and I, I wish aftershock would would commit to doing some longer series like they did when they first started, but I understand that there's a lot of other factors in the in the market right now. But what I don't understand is so you could have fleshed out that issue number three a little bit more and not had it be so choppy and and turned around and and maybe taken a little bit of issue four and, you know, the back half of issue three and put it together for a new issue four and then taken the back half of issue four and flesh that out to be an issue five. I just think there's so much potential in the story. And I, I know I sound like I'm complaining, but really it's kind of a backhanded compliment because the story is so good and the ideas are so good and the world they built is so rich. It deserves more real estate. Like I want more of this story. And I think that it could have been presented a little better it started off so great especially the first issue I thought was paced really really well now granted you know the the Blackie brothers they're more known for like TV and film type stuff I, I think this is their first time writing a comic and lord knows I've said it a hundred times if not more pacing is the hardest thing to get right um, and so maybe they just struggled a little bit with that um so I kind or it could have been a timing thing you know like I said they have other commitments writing, television or or movies or what have you um but i don't know it just feels a little bit like an opportunity missed um we do get a kind of a thank you in the back of the book from the brothers um and a little note from the the artist daniel main who says that they hope they can show more uh of uh of the clans of balari story so clearly there's more to be told or at least daniel seems to think so uh and i would i would definitely like more of it but like i said i I think we could have got more. There definitely was room for a fifth issue, but I don't know, maybe aftershock is cutting back and they're not doing five or six issues anymore. And now they're trying to get down to only four issues. I don't, I don't know. Um, but it's still a great story for those that aren't familiar. It's basically the story set far in the future of humanity. They, they left earth a long time ago because, you know, overpopulation and pollution and climate change and all that stuff. And they, they found a planet that they could, um, that could sustain them that they could reestablish kind of humanity in society, but in order to do that and and for everybody to survive because they had such limited resources they everybody had their certain roles that they had to fulfill and so based on what your role was, you became part of the clan that fulfilled that role, and they they made these laws that you couldn't move between clans, and there was all these restrictive laws because you couldn't like maybe everybody would have wanted to be a miner instead of a farmer, and then you don't have enough farmers. And so they made these arbitrary rules when society was kind of on the brink. Humanity was on its last legs. But now, hundreds of years later, the laws seem unnecessarily restrictive. You know, they should be able to allow for more freedom. And so there's, there's kind of a rebellion. There's kind of an underground that wants to rebel against the chieftains who control these different clans. And there's also this uh, I guess, for lack of a better term, bad guy who is supposed to be outside of the clans supposed to be kind of um, uh, above them in a way um non biased because he's he runs the space station that kind of overlooks the planet and he's uh, kind of in charge of the police force, and so he's supposed to be non biased but he's not a good person and he's very Uh, ambitious and he 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 thirsts for power and he's very corrupt and so he he goes to the other chieftains and says i should be a chieftain too when they disagree with him he starts these plans to become a chieftain anyway and um, look for some ancient alien weapons that they first found when when the uh the humans first got to that planet that they hid away because it was too dangerous it just does a lot of bad stuff so that's kind of the overall gist of the story And it culminates in, in how that affects, because, you know, you can talk about that and you can see the way the clans can affect people on a broad level, but in order to bring it home and make it relevant, you have to have some characters that you're invested in and you care about. And we're we're introduced to them right away in the the first issue. And we kind of get their stories and see it from their perspective, uh, Taya and Gummy. And, uh, and that's kind of how the the fourth issue kind of finishes up with Taya and Gummy and, and how, the clan system has affected them and put them in this really untenable position and ends on that sort of cliffhanger. So again, a lot of potential. I wish there'd been a fifth issue and the whole first part of the story, first chapter, if you will, could have been paced out a little better, but uh, again, I understand the challenges of that and and I'm hoping we get more. And if we do get more that the pacing will be a little better the, the next time. And I hope to keep Daniel main on art because his art is, Fantastic, as is the Carlos Lopez color. So I am a fan of it. I do recommend it. Just be aware it gets a little choppy. Um, It just moves at a really fast pace the last couple of issues. So, Uh, All right. The other Aftershock book that Jay's going to talk about is Beyond the Breach, number four, Never Be the Same. Ed Brisson is the writer. Damien Cusiero is the artist. Patricio Delpech does the colors, Hassan Atman Elhau on letters, and this is the penultimate issue, even though it's issue four, it's not the last one, there is an issue five, so this is exactly the kind of thing I'm talking about, where usually you get five issues of the story, we're definitely getting five issues of Beyond the Breach, so what did you think of issue four, Jay?
1: This is one of the first books I read with that uh, you sent me, because I like the story and I like the artwork. As we know from the last issue, we know that uh, Vanessa, Kai, the little creature and Dougie and Samuel, uh, they're all on a a mission to try to get Dougie to his grandparents across the U.S., but they're also being chased by the Mackin, I guess, the tribe of the Mackin. I guess that'd be the right way to pronounce it. I like this because we finally get like a backstory of Samuel and why I guess this world is the way it is. You know, we get a backstory of, you know, why there's so much connection from different elements of worlds combined. It, and you know what's his histories with the macken so i like that so we finally got you know that uh, i guess that bridges you know we, we, we're there now and uh the ending good because i guess now we're set up for the uh the climatic uh, uh battle royal i guess in issue five but i like aftershock because it's not an ongoing story they're short but they're really good and you want sometimes you want more I, I, i'm looking forward to number five but at the same time it would be kind of sad because i really enjoyed the, the characters in the story
0: yeah i would say ed brisson i mean remember we the first issue we were just thrown into the deep end, the, the invasion happened with all these different creatures and we didn't know what the hell was going on or what the point of the story was going to be. And then in issue two, we still weren't hundred percent sure. Like we got a little more information and we learned that it wasn't just like one world invading another. It was all these different creatures from different worlds. And then, like you said, we finally get the explanation and it makes complete sense and it's kind of a cool idea that Ed Brisson gives us. And yeah, it's set up for this, big confrontation, big, you call it a battle royale between Samuel and the the Mackins uh, in the last issue. And it can end with that battle and be a satisfying story. And, and that can be the end of it. Or if it's sold well enough, like based on the story and the, the kind of the background that Samuel gives us, we know there's like a lot of stories that you could tell with Samuel in the past, uh, or you could keep telling his story of, of him with Vanessa and Dougie, you know, traveling across the United States, having to deal with all these different creatures that uh, have invaded the earth. Like there's any number of ways you could keep going if the sales dictate it. So this is the way to do it, right? Like we know we're going to get a satisfying conclusion to this part of the story. And if Ed Brisson chooses, or if Advershock chooses, they can continue it. So definitely the way to do it. Big fan love the art, love the colors. So uh, I think it definitely works. Uh, all right. Another one of the image books that actually made it to shops today, Made in Korea, number five from writer Jeremy Holt. Uh, George Shaw is the artist. Adam Wollett handles the letters. So this is a story about a, a future where most of the world is uh, sterile. So it kind of struggle to even keep the human race going. Uh, since a lot of people can't have kids, what they have are these little robots that um that kind of act like kids, but but not really, you know, they're um because they don't have real intelligence. Um they're they're toys, they they call them proxies. Um, but this one like software engineer at, at this company in Korea found a way to to truly give his proxy like artificial intelligence. And he, he sent it, he just sent it out. Somebody ordered a proxy and he just sent this one at random to kind of beta test it and then realize what a mistake he made. And the proxy went through some bullying at school because it was so smart. It was like the equivalent of, of looking like a, I don't know, maybe like an eight or nine or 10 year old, but it was all the way in high school based on its level of intelligence. And so it was bullied and there were some other behavioral issues or what have you software engineer went and got it. And so that that was kind of the first four issues. And now with this fifth issue, it's it's still telling the same story with the same proxy and the same software engineer, but it has such a different feel because now it's not so much about the external um, forces or, or external environment acting on the proxy and dictating its actions and its reactions and that sort of thing. Now it's like, even though this proxy has been intelligent the whole time, has had this artificial intelligence, this really smart uh, robot, basically. Um, now it's kind of dealing with everything that's been internalized from the consequences of the first four issues. So now it's gone from being external forces acting on it to you know the robot trying to, or android or proxy or whatever you want to call it, trying to. To deal with the, the aftermath and the consequences and the and the self awareness, um, and then there are other factors as well, like the fact that this software engineer did this without telling the the company that he works for, and now it's back in Korea, so there's a danger of him being found out, and you know nobody's supposed to be working on artificial intelligence, and so there's that whole aspect of the story uh, as well, which which again, it's a little more external. Um, but the majority of the issue focuses on the internals of this uh, this proxy so it's a it's a series that when i do hear people talking about it they're they're raving about it but i feel like i don't hear enough people talking about it so uh i've covered every issue so far cuz it's fantastic and i think everybody should be reading it the art style from george uh, shaw is it's kind of a it's a real simple style um maybe just a tiniest bit of of anime uh, influence the, ba- the backgrounds are very light. Um, it's great sequential storytelling and very clean lines. And it it sort of suits, the, the art is very soothing and it kind of suits the story um, in that the tension and the drama that happen in the story, they're a little bit subdued um, because the art is not real frenetic. And I think it helps set a tone that makes the whole series feel a little more cerebral. So uh, again, it's, it's just a really great series that I, you know, I, I was like made in Korea. What the heck is this? Let me read the first issue. And I was instantly hooked. So I always want to talk about the issues as it come out. So uh, people will hopefully check it out. Uh, all right. Up next is another image title. It's the debut or big premiere issue. According to the, um, the front cover it's ant, from Eric Larson, he handles the story, art, and colors. Mike Torres does the flats. Jack Morelli on letters. And there is a a big essay in the back from Eric Larson that explains kind of the origin of Ant um, and how uh, how Eric Larson bought the property, bought the character from Mario Gully, who created it while he was in prison, actually. Um, and and there's a lot of his daughter, and it was very personal for him. but. Mario eventually just couldn't, uh, just didn't feel like he was the right person to keep telling the story. And since Eric had been such a fan of it for so long, he ended up buying it. And based on the sort of insanity of the previous issues and how it was so convoluted, and different craters would come on and do an issue and take it in one direction. And then two months would go by, and another crater would come on and go in a completely different direction. And you just never knew what the heck was going on. Um, and Todd didn't, or not Todd. Uh, Eric didn't know how to how to fix that, and so basically, he, you know, we had the final issue of Ant where he tried to wrap that up as much as he could, and now we're getting sort of an all new start, uh, but with a lot of elements from the uh, the original story. So, uh, I know you were a fan of Ant uh, when it was coming out the first time, Jay, and I I'd never read it, I'd never even heard of it. So, reading the essay in the back of this issue, I was like. I had no idea the history of ant was so convoluted and how did you even read it and make sense of it? I have no idea, but uh, how'd you feel about this new debut? Is it easier to follow and understand?
1: Yeah. Cause I, uh, the first series came out in 2004, it was by arcane arcane. And it was only yep. four issue. So you're like, okay. And it, I remember, go, I actually went back and saw them uh, like this weekend. I was like, okay, that story was really one story. So that was kind of made sense. But then 2005, when the Image Ticket, it, was 11 issue, and that's where it really got kind of confusing. But uh, it's definitely uh, Larson's uh, artwork. I don't think it's, like, the his, like, the best artwork, because I guess he's trying to do that whole, I guess, older style from 2004, trying to keep that that going, which I guess if you're a diehard fan, you would appreciate it. I was something a little bit better, because the covers in the past were actually pretty awesome. We had different people doing the covers and they were kind of awesome. That's what kind of drew me into the character. I was like, well, that's kind of interesting, you know? But I like this because he kind of starts fresh. We get the backstory of her, her father, uh, you know, why the suit is the the way it is, the corporation behind the suit. So yeah, he definitely, you know, is taking it, it's his character now. So he's uh, making it easier for the fans to go, okay, now we kind of get the base of the story let's go forward. So I appreciate that after all the years of reading it, I was like, Hey man, it's been since 2005, since I read the last book, what's going on here, you know, (laughs) but I'm a fan and I'm looking forward to the next issue. And like you say, you always give it two or three and see what, you know, they're going to do with it. But uh, his, it's his baby. And I'm just long for the ride right now.
0: Yeah. I mean, it feels like he has a lot of fresh ideas, you know, Savage Dragon's way up there above 250 now. So this is a chance for him to, something new and different and exciting i mean 250 issues into savage dragon that character is established at this point you know so you're kind of even though it's not you know a marvel or dc property worth billions of dollars or whatever like a superman or batman or spider-man you still you're limited you can't just throw the baby out with the bathwater and make changes because your you know your loyal fan base will revolt so uh hopefully this recharges his creative juices to some extent uh, speaking of characters that have been around forever, a uh, highly anticipated issue this week is Gunslinger Spawn number one. Uh, the script and plot are by Todd McFarlane. There's additional plotting and scripting in one of the backups called The Small Gift by Ailish Cott. Art is for the main uh, story is by Brett Booth. We have Thomas Nalchik of Magus Arts. Philip Tan and Kevin Keene also providing art for some of the backups inkers are Adelso Corona and Daniel Enriquez. We have colors by Andrew Dalhouse, Nikos Costas, Marcella uh, Iozoli, Marcella Maialo, and FCO Placentia. And then letters are by Tom Orzakowski. So uh, I'm in the midst right now of going back and rereading uh, all the Spawn issues, starting with issue one, because it's been so many years since I read Spawn, I don't even know what's going on. So that being said, I know that this version of Spawn is a character from the 1800s, you know, thus the gunslinger kind of thing, and he's been brought forward into present time somehow, some way. He doesn't even know how himself, and he's trying to get back to his his time so he can continue on his quest to get vengeance for people who killed him. I mean, I think that's what Spawn, what Spawns do, what Hell Spawns do. Um, so, again, I haven't read Spawn in in hundreds and hundreds of issues. So, I wasn't sure I'd be able to follow what's going on, but I think you know Todd McFarlane gets a kind of a bad rap of not being a great writer, and I'm not saying that he's like, oh, he's the greatest comic writer ever. He's Alan Moore, he's uh, Grant Morrison, he's you know whatever, but he knows how to tell a story that's exciting, and Brett Booth is a is a good artist um, to tell to illustrate a story like this because his art is so dynamic, and. Even though I haven't read Spawn in in tons of issues, I read King Spawn number one. I didn't even realize two came out yet. Apparently I missed it because three's out today also. Um, So I need to get caught up on that. Like I said, I need to get caught up on the regular series as well. Um, But all that being said, I was able to read this Gunslinger Spawn issue number one and follow along well enough to really enjoy the story. We get uh, a couple of backups that give... um, some context if you don't know who gunslinger spawn is like like i don't really um you get a sense of who he is as a character you get uh, a great story about the weapons that he uses and um you know why why you like well spawn has like these super natural powers and and you know super strength or whatever why does gunslinger spawn have to use like knives and guns and bullets or whatnot well that's all explained here so overall i really enjoyed this issue I do feel like if you're a big Spawn fan and you've been reading Spawn all these years or or you're caught up on it, that you'll get more out of this issue and enjoy it even more than I did. Um, But I really enjoyed it. The Brett Booth art is dynamic as you would expect Brett Booth art to be. Uh, The only thing about the the Brett Booth art that I wasn't quite sure about, and maybe it's just Brett finding his footing in this world. I'm used to Brett having like really crazy, like double page spreads and, and interesting panel layouts, whatever. And this is pretty by the numbers for him. It's a lot of vertical panels. You know, they, they do tend to go all the way across the page kind of wide screen, if you will, but there's not a lot of panel breaks. There's not a lot of um, double page spreads. And maybe it's just because there was so much story to tell. uh, And, and Todd, when he was writing, it was sort of dictating to Brett, how to, how to lay it out panel one, panel two and whatnot. But I, I do hope that Brett gets to kind of stretch his his creative muscles because when it comes to dynamic panel layouts on a page, nobody does it better than than Brett Booth. So uh, I did enjoy this, and it, again, it, whenever I read one of these newer Spawn books, I find myself thinking, God, I just I need to get caught up on on Spawn. But you know, it's over 300 issues at this point, so it's going to take me a little while, especially with all the other comics I'm trying to read right now. So. Uh, all right. On to Jay's last book. It's Death of Dr. Strange, issue number two. This is from writer Jed McKay. Lee Garbett is the artist. Antonio Fabella on colors. Corey Petit on letters. Uh, pretty solid start with issue number one. What do you think of issue number two, Jay?
1: It's good. It's, uh, like I said, the artwork is just, I like the artwork. I know it's got the little dark lines, but it's, I like it. For this, it's kinda to have that dark because uh, it's like magic going on. So I like that the dark colors and uh, it's got the bright colors where you need it, but mainly it, it's dark and I like that. I mean, we know that Strange was killed in the first issue and then at the very end we see Strange come back. But we definitely know in this issue that this is the older Strange. It's not the newer because he's kind of oblivious what's going on. I mean, he doesn't know what uh, the his phone card is. <laughs> he doesn't know that he's uh, you know, he's got a wife. He doesn't know anything. But um, we also get an idea that it's not just uh, him that's being killed, but it's, across, I guess, across all the, the realms of magic. And um, they're all getting ready for, to, to I guess, to, to protect themselves. The title itself is called The Three Mothers. So that's the villains that we meet in this. And we finally see who they are. And they kind of say why they were there. Uh, the Avengers show up. And then after there's a battle going on a little bit, they kind of just, I guess they're just testing the I guess the uh the powers that are on earth and then see if they can uh get anything to uh you know feed their their child. I guess they all have the same child, I'm assuming. But it was good. Like I said the art was good, the stories uh I like it. Uh it's funny because strange uses some of his old terms used in the old books, which is kind of funny. It's like, well, so he's definitely the older strange. And then that's it that just kind of leaves so you're like okay what now so it's it, it's fun uh i'm enjoying it i'm just looking forward to the next issue i'm kind of glad i kind of got into it because i'm not a huge strange fan but this uh book just interests me when i said the death of strange i was kind of just gonna see how they're gonna play that off they're actually killing the character off or what's going on with it
0: yeah i kind of feel the same way i'm not the biggest dr strange fan haven't read a ton of his stuff um and you know you we see him die in the first issue and then almost as soon as he dies, you see this other version of strange show up and you, you know, that it's not obviously the same version. So you're like, wait, is this, I guess to use the term Marvel's using now a variant, you know, from a different multiverse or whatever. No, come to find out it's a, you know, Dr. Strange way back when he first got his powers, like basically cut a week of his life out back then. I guess he just went and like, I don't know, time jumped for, you know, a week. Because he knew whenever he died, it was going to be inconvenient. And so he wanted to have a week to for his older self to come forward at that point and settle his affairs, basically. So yeah, it's it's fascinating. It's a it's a super cool concept from Judd McKay that we're getting this strange who is not as experienced, who doesn't have all this knowledge, because the strange that died was in a way was more powerful because he knew so much more and he was so much more experienced. And now it's this older strange who's, you know, everybody talks to him like they've known him for decades and decades, but he doesn't know a lot of these people at all. So it's, uh, it's fascinating that he's just kind of thrown into the deep end of the pool with this, uh, these invasions from multiple dimensions. So I didn't know what to think. I mean, you hear these stories like death of Spider-Man, death of Hulk, death of Wolverine, whatever. And you're just like, oh, here we go again. They're killing another Marvel character. How boring. Um, it can become kind of cliche. And, you know, they're never going to stay dead for long because they're worth too much money in the real world. Uh, but at least <laughs> this one feels fresh. Um, so, I, yeah, I'm surprised how much I'm in, I'm enjoying it. Especially yeah. like the aspect that it's an older Doctor Strange coming forward. And the artwork by Lee Garbutt. I mean, I'm a fan of his from his Skyward work and from his Captain Marvel work. And um, I feel like this is right up there with some of his, his best work. So yeah, really, really interesting. The I don't know how to feel about the villains it, they're kind of tropey in my mind. Um, I have a feeling that the the true villain of the story is going to be in their quote unquote son who needs to feed. It's It's going to be some giant monstrosity that, you know, it's gonna take all, the combined might of all the heroes in the Marvel universe that wield magic to to defeat him, or something like that. In the long run, uh, I bet you. So, anyway, yeah, <laughs> solid, solid story. This is actually my book of the week.
1: Oh, that's a good pick. I like it. Like I said, I just like his uh, old uh, outfits. Like they did a good job of getting his old uh, gloves together and his yep. uh, his aneurysms. And he was like, "Okay, who's your sorcerer supreme?" And they're just staring. I'm like, "What? Yeah.
0: Like, you were <laughs> you were dead, but you're
1: dead." <laughs> yeah.
0: Because he wasn't, he wasn't the Sorcerer Supreme at that time when he separated I mean, yeah. and he gave him that weekend. I've sent it to that. Uh, all right. I have a couple more books. I'm just going to mention um, just real quickly. We have the, the final issue of the un, uh, or the United States of Captain America from writer uh, Christopher Cantwell. The art is by Dale Eaglesham colors are by Matt Miller and letters are by Joe Caramagna. This entire series, I've, I've talked about it before. It reminds me of kind of the classic era of cap Christopher Cantwell has done such a great job in his, both in his Iron Man run and in his Captain America run of capturing the essence and the feel of some of the classic runs on those characters. Um, for Cap, it definitely feels from maybe, I don't know, around 318, 310, somewhere in there, like up through almost 400, like the, especially that Mark Grunewald era. Um, it just, it feels like classic Cap. He's definitely embodying the, The ideals that he always espoused, especially, you know, when you talk about when he gave up being the uh, being Captain America, when John Walker, which people know John Walker from the Falcon Winter Series or Winter Soldier Series on uh, Disney Plus or whatever it is. Um, But those ideals that led Captain America, like like, I'm not a political operative. I'm not, you know, your, your political stooge. I need to be more than that. You know, it's about standing for what's best about America, you know, independence and freedom and individuality, but also being part of a society, being part of a community, protecting those who are less fortunate. It's, it's about togetherness, not individuality and independence and freedom that in endanger others or forsake others it's about coming together and and working together and he's captured that expertly and that's been the whole point of this united states of captain america because throughout the story sam wilson captain america steve rogers captain america bucky they've been traveling around the country they've been meeting these other people who've taken up the shield and taken up the mantle and taken up the name of captain america in their own communities to help to do what they can and their enemies in the story you know the Red school's daughter, Superior, and um, Speed Demon, although he's brainwashed, and eventually Hatemonger, who was freed by the kind of the bad guys' last issue, and that's that's really what it's all about, right? When you talk about Nazism and sort of dividing, and and what these people want to do is they want to tear America apart, they want to divide America, they want to break it into pieces, and then kind of rule the the brainwash leftovers if you will um and so the hate monger he's he's like the perfect antithetical character to uh Captain America again so that's where the classic feel that is able to to inject into these stories really really works so um I I, I love the series I feel like it's an instant classic and really a great job by Christopher Cantwell of capturing who uh Captain America is so Uh, definitely recommend that series. And then the last uh, book I'm going to talk about in detail is Fantastic Four, number 37. This is from writer Dan Slott. We have Nico Leon as artist, Donna Sanchez Almara on colors, Joe Camarone on letters. It's Halloween. It's a Halloween issue. It's a lot of fun. We have the thing and Alicia's adopted alien children go out trick-or-treating. And uh, it's really kind of funny. They're their battle plan to to trick or treat. So there's some good family humor there. And then um, some remnants of their past show up and and cause problems, which leads to some really heartfelt family moments, which I really appreciate in a fantastic four book. Um, And and speaking of kind of a classic feel, we also get a great interaction between Johnny storm and Spider-Man reminding us about that relationship. So, you know, this is a perfect kind of book to tell this sort of uh, story, right? I mean, we all grew up watching sitcoms or whatever, and they'd have the Halloween episodes or the Christmas episodes or, or whatever. And that's what this is. This is a Halloween episode. This is a Halloween issue. Um, that's just fun. It's lighthearted. It's one and done. You can pick this up on its own. You don't know, any, anything else that's been going on in Fantastic Four, because um, it stands on its own, reminding us of that family feel, reminding us what comics can be. I mean, there's a few other, you know, long, longer running plot threads that are mentioned here in passing uh, to keep those threads moving along. But this is really about the thing and Alicia and their adopted alien children and about Johnny getting to hang out with Spider-Man for uh, a little while, because, you know, right now he's, he's so lonely uh, having been supercharged with the power cosmic by Dr. Doom a few issues ago, he can't flame off. His flame is, like turned all the way up all the time. He can't even be around other people. He's like living in a bunker way underground, isolated and alone all the time. So it's great to see him reminded that he has a friend and Peter Parker and they're sort of comparing notes about all the terrible things that have happened in their lives. And Pete's like, you got this, Johnny, you'll you'll get through it. So again, heartfelt moments, familial moments, and perfect in tone for a, a fantastic four book. And the art by Nico Leone is is very gorgeous. He breaks the panels a lot. There's a lot of um, fantastic poses and great um, kinetic artwork in the battle scenes. He moves the camera around a ton. There's some fun panel layouts, insets and whatnot. Really, really great. And then uh, we get a tease for the next issue. I guess the wizard is going to menace both the Fantastic Four in and out of the courtroom. And so everybody's favorite green lawyer the sensational she hulk is going to show up now last i saw she hulk was in the pages of immortal hulk and she still was kind of the savage she hulk where she was kind of she would dumb out you know she'd get really big and she looked all masculine she wasn't kind of the just the bigger sort of still very feminine looking she hulk that we've been used to for years and years but apparently she's going back to that now because I, I've seen some covers for her new series that's coming in January, and she's back to, I guess I'll call it normal. She looks back to normal in this cover as well. So I'm not sure when that happened, but it makes sense because there is a, a She-Hulk television series starting, and I think that's how most people see her. So you want to get her back to kind of her status quo, but I, I am curious. I don't know if I missed it somewhere. Maybe it happened in Avengers, because um, I think there's a World War She-Hulk story going on right now. Um, so I'll definitely have to uh, to check that out. So anyway, those are some of the books that we've read in detail that are coming out today. Let me give a rundown on, on some of the other titles that you might want to be on the lookout for as you head to your comic shop. Um, and again, some of these books that I'm going to mention, I, I apologize. They might not be there because, again, there were some issues with shipping and, and paper shortages and whatnot. But according to uh, ComicList.com, this is what's supposed to be there. Today we have Dune House of Atreides number eleven of twelve, next to last issue of that series, uh, and I mention it because the Dune movie is coming out this um, this weekend, and this is a this House of Atreides Dune story has been uh, well you know has been tying into that, taking a lot of those classic Dune uh, story points and fleshing them out. Uh, there's also Not All Robots number three from uh, AWA Studios, written by Mark Russell, and then Frank Cho's Fight Girls number four, also from uh AWA is out this week. Uh over at DC and again you can listen to these on our DC spotlight yesterday. Uh Batman number 115, Batman Catwoman number 8 of 12, Batman Secret Files Peacekeeper 01 number 1, uh Batman Last Night on Earth trade paperback, Batman versus Bigby, a wolf in Gotham number 2 of 6 from Bill Willingham, Black Manta number 2 of 6 from Chuck Brown. Catwoman number 36, Catwoman Lonely City number one of four from Cliff Chang. He writes it, he colors it, he draws it. That's a fantastic series. Uh, I highly recommend that. Uh, Flash number 775, Green Lantern number seven, uh, Refrigerator Full of Heads number one of six, which is one of their horror titles. Uh, My favorite DC book of the week and also Rocky's favorite was Nubia and the Amazons number one of six from writers uh, Stephanie Williams and Vita Ayala with Fantastic Heart by Aletha Martinez. Uh, Shazam, number four of four, finishes off that miniseries. We have Suicide Squad, number eight, from Robbie Thompson with art by Edward, uh, Eduardo Pansica and Dexter Soy. That was a fantastic issue narrated by Ambush Bug, and was a lot of fun. Uh, we also had Suicide Squad King Shark, number two of six, from Tim Seeley. Uh, Superman, Son of Kal-El, number four, which uh, that version of Superman has been in the news a lot because of his sexuality recently. And then uh, let's see, I guess that's it from DC. And a lot of the image books were delayed, like I said. Um, so I think we actually talked about, uh, well, there's a, something called Hellcop number one that's coming out. And then, like I mentioned, Kingspawn number three is also coming out, although I haven't read number two yet. And then Luther Strode. Uh, the complete series trade paperback from Justin Jordan is out from, uh, from Image as well. Uh, over at Marvel, in addition to the books that we talked about, let's see, we've got Star Wars, The High Republic, number 10. We've got Thor, number 18. And that's it. We talked about everything else. And then, like I said, there's a, there's a huge list, like six or seven titles uh, from Marvel that got delayed, Spider-Woman and Sword and uh, Moon Knight and a bunch of other ones. So hopefully next week for those, Uh, And I think I should probably mention Gun Honey number 204 from Titan because the first issue sold out and went to second printing. Uh, I actually don't know anything about the series, but I heard a lot of people talking about it. And so I went and checked it just out the covers and I saw that uh, Adam Hughes was doing a cover. And so I bought it because, you know, sometimes those Adam Hughes covers go crazy, especially for the lesser known properties. So uh, but I haven't had a chance to read it yet. So I'll let you know when I do if it's uh, if it's any good. Uh, and then from Valiant, I guess I'll mention there's a couple of trade paperbacks Shadow Man Volume 1 trade paperback and the Visitor trade paperback. Uh, anything else that's out this week that you want to mention, Jay?
1: I think uh, Blaze has uh, Maria Lovett uh, Porcelain number three comes out. That's actually a pretty kind of fun story. It's pretty much uh, a, a house where it turns the people into dolls. So it's kind of like a horror theme to it. It's actually pretty good.
0: Wow, well, that's uh, just in time for
1: Halloween. Oh yeah, perfect. And uh, my book of week is going to be Beyond the Breach because uh, I've, like I said, I just enjoyed that story so much.
0: Yeah, that's not a bad pick. I I considered that one uh, as well, but ultimately I just liked I liked the Doctor Strange one a little more because Doctor Strange is a character that's been around forever, and I've never been able to get into. And this has me more interested in him than I than I ever have before. So, shout out to Jed McKay for that. Uh, okay, I guess that's going to do it for this episode. Everybody, uh, hope you enjoyed it. We really appreciate you. Uh, joining us as always and we will talk to you next time thank you you can find the comic source podcast on spotify apple podcast stitcher google play or whichever podcasting app you prefer please tell all your friends about us subscribe and rate us the ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners especially five star reviews on apple